Hello, everybody. Have you ever reached out to a traditional recruiting agency to try to fill a role and then been shocked when you found out that they charge up to 30% of a first year salary? That could be $50,000 or way more. That's so unaffordable for an early brand. But there's great news. I am thrilled to announce that Startup CPG now has an official recruiting partner that I think is the best fit for emerging brands. They are called Creative Alignment. They're a top-tier recruiter, and the best thing is that they work on an hourly model called time-based recruiting. Often, you could fill a position with them for just 10 to 12% of a first-year salary, and if you work with them on multiple roles, you could save even more. They've worked with RX Bar, Cauli Power, Kodiak Cakes, Olipop, and so many other brands, and they are extremely well-regarded within our Startup CPG Slack community. So if you're considering hiring, I really recommend reaching out to them for a free consultation. You can visit their website at creativealignments.com or email them directly. Our contact is frank.milianti, that's M-I-L-I-A-N-T-I, at creativealignments.com. It was one of the reasons that made me do the leap from corporate to entrepreneurship. I mean, obviously, it was not the only Shark Tank, but it just really inspired me. Like, I loved listening to everyone's stories. I learned from their pitches. I just learned from, like, how the sharks ask questions. Like, just different ways to frame entrepreneurship. Like, what do you go through? Hello, CPGers. We've got another bonus episode for you here because I just found that our friend Jake Dillian from Villa Manila is going live on ABC's Shark Tank this Friday, March 1st at 8 p.m. We raced to record an interview with him so you could hear in real time what it's been like and what could this mean for Phil Manila. Tune into ABC and you'll also get to see on the same episode our friends from Funky Mellow. I hope you enjoy hearing about Jake's journey leading up to the airing of this episode. I know I can't wait to watch it. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. Today we have a special bonus episode for you with our friend Jake Dillian. He is the founder of Phila Manila, which makes award-winning sauces and spreads inspired by Philippines' most iconic flavors. And he's also the creator of foundersheritage.org, a community of founders and global flavors. Jake recently got the incredible news that his his Shark Tank episode would be aired. And because we love Jake and his brand so much, we wanted to quickly serve up an episode for everybody in anticipation of of the airing. There won't be any spoilers here since this is recorded before the show airs on Friday, the March 1st. So um, welcome, Jake. How are you feeling right now? Daniel, thank you so much for having me. Like, obviously, a huge part of Startup CPG. I love the community you're building. And just being here talking about the Shark Tank thing is just something that I would have dreamed of, but never even like thought I'd be doing. But thank you for having me. I'm doing fantastic. Are you tell me how you're actually doing right now? You must be getting ready for everything. It's busy, you know, it's kind of like bend down the hatches and like prepare the defenses for the onslaught that's going to happen. Hopefully, we'll see what happens. What is going to happen for the um for you know, the Shark Tank bump. You know what I mean? Like hopefully like we'll get some good online orders, we get some good buzz, and then hopefully just uh, at least try our best to be prepared for it. You know, we don't get too much time to prepare for it in the lens of uh, the CPG industry, but we'll try our best. 
yes, millions and millions of people watch Shark Tank. I think probably it's one of the top shows still on. So that's super exciting. There's honestly nothing cooler than when I see my friends going on Shark Tank and knowing what it's going to do for your business. The only two kind of, I, w- I mean, I don't know if it's a game show, I guess, like entrepreneurship. I watch that and I watch Snake Oil, which if anyone hasn't seen it is awesome. And all of you will love it because it is loosely CPG related. It's with David Spade and he has someone on there. They have a bunch of people presenting products and half of them are fake, meaning snake oil and the other half are real. And they're very wacky, but it's super fun to watch because you have to try to guess which one is snake oil. I feel like I have about a 70% hit rate, which I think is pretty good because they're hired actors. They're very convincing and they're just talking about bonkers stuff. But anyways, they don't pay us to say that, but it's a funny show. So definitely watch it. David Spade is hilarious. Now back to Shark Tank. All right. And out. Thanks for the, uh, the TV show tip. Yeah. Good to have some R&R TV shows. All right, Jake, before we talk about Shark Tank stuff, can you just give us a primer on who is Jake? Who is Phil Manila? Yeah, of course. I'll start back from a, a very brief kind of like us in a nutshell in the history. Uh, so I'm a first generation Filipino American immigrant. Daniel, so my opening joke is that in my case, that means I was born in the Philippines and raised in the exotic land of New Jersey. But <laughs> 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 uh, I think with most immigrant families, especially Filipino families, food was always an important part of our household. Like it was the center of our house, the kitchen. And so my earliest memory in the food business was helping my mom and grandmother make these Filipino delicacies in our kitchen because we would resell them to friends and families for extra family income. I think we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So any way that we could bring money into the house is always amazing. But life is ironic because I end up working for food as a career, working in big CPG companies like Procter & Gamble and Starbucks with these giant food brands, Pringles, Ein's Pet Foods, and obviously Starbucks beverages. But with most crazy entrepreneurs that you've interviewed and we met along the way, I'm a builder. I like to create. And so I left that world behind, and then I started my first startup, which is not Philip Manila, but it was actually a beverage company called Origin Almond. So it, it's, it was like almond milk. And I started that in um, a table at a farmer's market in Jersey. You know, I built that to distribution with Walmart, with Whole Foods. Uh, even Kraft Heinz was our earliest investor through their accelerator. But we were doing really well up until March of 2020. And you could kind of guess what happened, you know, in the lens of uh, the, the lockdowns and of COVID, so much of our revenue was tied to store traffic. Once that store traffic went away, our revenues declined like, geez, I'd say like 80% over six weeks. Did it sound like this? Womp, womp. It did, yeah. A lot more scarier at the time. <laughs> March and April was like, what in the world, right? But so sadly, we made the choice to uh, discontinue Origin Almond just because like nobody knew what was going to happen during that period moving forward in the industry. And there's just a lot of going on. But, you know, I look back at that period with full gratitude now, right? It's like, number one, we were refrigerated. We sold off all of our inventory. Number two, you know, we all had friends with businesses 20 times larger than our own that lost everything overnight. And lastly, you know, look in the lens of what was happening in the world. Like I didn't get sick. My parents didn't get sick at the time. So it's hard to feel sorry for yourself when the world was in a lot of pain. I'd say like everything happens for a reason, I believe. And so if that didn't happen, the founding of Philip Manila would not have happened as well. And the story goes that it was in May of 2020. Remember that fun time? We had the running death counts on TV and <laughs> all this stuff going on. I saw an article. The article in the paper said in some areas of the US, 20% of the healthcare workforce fighting on the front lines of COVID were Filipino. And it's an inside joke in most Filipino families because we have these like seven cousins who are nurses, except for me, right? the food business. And then, but it was kind of that weird fact that made me inspired to do more research on my community, like who I grew up as. 
And it turns out, no, we are thinking the second largest Asian American group at the time, the largest in 11 states, including California. But I came from CPG and I was like, wait a minute, this is true. Why is it when you go to all these national grocery stores, there's actually no Filipino cuisine on the shelf, even though the cuisine itself is like growing in popularity. And so that was kind of like the spark that started Phila Manila. So, you know, in true immigrant grit, you know, I used my stimulus check. I built the first prototypes and I sold it into retail during that summer of 2020. In fall of 2020, we launched the brand in Whole Foods Northeast. So long story short, we launched in one store, one product line, fall 2020. In the year since then, we've expanded to three award-winning product lines with national distribution, with retailers like Whole Foods, Target, Meyer, Stop and Shop. And, you know, based on Spins Data, we're actually the number one Filipino-American food brand in the U.S., with Filipino being the fastest-growing global flavor. So it's an exciting time to be where we are now. It's not easy, but it, it is exciting. That is amazing. Oh, that's so cool. I never knew that story. So, man, it sounds like you guys got out to market really fast. What was the product development process like? Who did it? And can you just also tell everybody a little bit more about your product lines? Yeah. So our very first product line during that, that 2020 year was a line of cooking sauces. And the reason we started with the cooking sauces is like, my idea is like, we got to come out with something that represents Filipino cuisine, right? That was the, the whole gist of the concept. And like thinking back in my childhood, most of our dishes in the Philippines were mostly like stewed based dishes, like, you know, meat, uh, some veggies and some sort of a sauce. So I figured a simmer sauce would be the logical kind of first step with our unique Filipino uh, dish flavors. And so the development was pretty straightforward. I just used the recipes my mom and dad had, and then I just kind of like tweaked it for commercialization, right? Because I was familiar with the industry. I know what kind of tweaks you have to do for co-packers, like the pHs and stuff like that. And then, you know, we launched a product right away just as an MVP to get it out into the market. And that was the very first product. It was like a line of three cooking sauces inspired by popular Filipino flavors or dishes. Since then, we just went a bit excited with new products. And then we launched, you know, our condiment, which is a banana ketchup, a very iconic Philippine condiment. And then uh, we then launched a line of our spreads and our spreads are based on ube. It's the flavor of the year, according to the New York Times and uh, the recent flavor house, I forget, for 2024. And what does it taste like? It tastes, it smells like a nice creamy vanilla with hints of sweet potato. It's hard to explain, but it's taking social media by storm because it's a beautiful purple hue. But we make the only ube in the US that's clean label and nationally distributed. So it's very exciting. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I can't wait to try it. It's cool hearing you talk about that. I can hear that you're good at this. <laughs> like, it's, it really sounds like, I mean, I, like most people would not come in with that level of knowledge already starting out. So I know you'll have had a lot of lessons learned along the way, but probably anybody listening is like, oh yeah, he's got. It. What did you learn though, between the first product line and the second line and the second and the third about how to launch a product line out into market? What did you learn how to do better? Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Daniel. Like I gotta say, my strengths, uh, I'm really good at impression, not performance. So <laughs> I thought you were, you were gonna say impressions. So I was like, oh, do me, do me. Not impression. But I'd say like it's really a lot of lessons because we moved really fast. I mentioned, right? Like we did the, all the development within two months in the summer of 2020. We just got the product out on the shelf within that same like time period, like within months. And so a couple of lessons that we learned is that, oh man, and so I maybe it's just a founder vision. We just get so lost in like our dreams and what, what we think is going to happen because i get so excited about our vision about like oh my god filipino food it's like everyone loves it it's amazing like it's going to be the next japanese food which is true but maybe it takes some time so what i learned is that when he first went to market is like not everyone knows about the cuisine i mean they may know filipinos but they are not familiar with the cuisine so there's a lot of education 
that needed to be done in the early stages, right? And if you think about 2020, 2021, you really couldn't do like store demos, right? Like remember that period? And then so there's like, you have to find different ways to educate consumers. And it was definitely a slow burn in the beginning. I don't know why I just remembered this, but I think around May of 2020 that you brought up before with all of, oh my God, the lockdown stuff and the fear was just wild. My family actually was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal because they had created this COVID, like not a bunker, but just like a really great way for my family to get together outdoors. My parents had gotten all these heaters. They put a bubble up around their pool. And the funniest thing in that article, I think it was talking about how they were microwaving the newspapers when they came in. People just, we just didn't know. Do you remember the early days? And like, everyone's like, oh, I have to take my shoes off when I get home outside because I don't know if I have COVID on my shoes. <laughs> I remember going to the whole, remember going to the Whole Foods and it was like preparing for like a SWAT mission. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know I wanted when we came out of COVID, I wanted to have pantry party where everyone would bring the weird stuff that they bought that first load up shopping trip because of what was just the only stuff that was left on shelves. Like, all right, everyone bring that stuff that you know you're never actually going to eat. We'll we'll have a party and everybody will try to figure out how to eat it. So, well, man, really interesting environment for you to have launched and excelled in. So from your background, Jake, you were really well prepared, I think, to do this. Nobody is perfectly prepared because there are so many learnings along the way, even when you come around to do it your second or third time. But can you talk a little bit about how your background as a brand manager at Procter & Gamble and a category manager at Starbucks prepared you for this and also how those perspectives influenced your approach? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I've been asked this before. And yeah, for sure, you know, that background definitely prepares you for what we do in our industry now, right? So it just familiarizes yourself with all the functions needed to manage a product. When I say functions, think about supply chain, finance, R&D, marketing. So, I mean, we're usually brand managers, we're a jack of all trades, not really a master of one. You know, so we're familiar with all parts. That said, you know, I will say there are definitely aspects of entrepreneurship that nothing can prepare you for, right? So, I mean, for example, you work in corporate, you work in CPG, but you still need that grit to call the grocery buyer to kind of get your shelves and merchandise properly. Just a lot of things that it's tough, right? And so if you even if you don't come from that corporate background, you still have to learn a lot of things and get humbled in many ways when you're launching your own brand. I say too, it's like, hey, if, if what coming from a background of CPG equates to success, it's not true at all. Because like, as you know, some of the most successful entrepreneurs in our field, they don't have any CPG experience at all, right? It's like they just have a lot of that real true entrepreneurial grit really good at sales and like they know their product, they know their audience. So CPG helps, but it's definitely not, it's not a key to success by all means. Yeah. And Procter Gamble is known as the top place to go and be a brand manager to get a training, right? Like if you're in business school, like all my friends there were trying to get jobs at P&G and then you're, you get the best possible training there, right? And then you're kind of minted. You can go and be a brand manager anywhere you want. Were there a couple things that you really picked up there that you could share with everybody? Yeah, I, I think the benefit with with that company, P&G, is that when you enter, they assume you know nothing about marketing. It's fascinating. And so they really train you from step zero all the way up to hopefully you become the CEO. That's how they're thinking it. And so uh, like as an undergrad, I was an art student. So you know, when I came to the company, it's like, you know, I really didn't know that much about marketing based on what I just saw on TV and art. I would say some of the key lessons that we could apply even today as entrepreneurship is number one, just really understand who your audience is. 
like who are the people that are oh. willing to buy your product and who are going to be the evangelists, right? We're going to be super excited and going to buy more and more of it as you come up with new products, right? And number two, it's like really just on identify, you know, what is your product differentiation? But it's like a general marketing thing. Like what makes your product so unique that it stands out against either competitors or within the category you play it? And so with Phil and Manila, we were really fortunate because we didn't come out with another granola. We didn't come out with another salsa. It's something so unique and dare I say weird in a good way where it's difficult to ignore it if you are the audience. So if you're a buyer from a grocery store and you're looking at your Asian set and it's like, oh, you know, Jake says second largest Asian American group, but oh, that's weird. I don't actually don't have any Filipino stuff here. It looks like he's the only thing in town. So, you know, it makes you more likely to be part of that set. So finding that differentiation and solving a problem for the person who's receiving it is always key to, to making a good sales transaction. That's pretty interesting. I think a lot of the time, I think back on my days in big CPG, I'm like, oh, those guys don't know anything about emerging CPG. They wouldn't know how to do this. But actually, when you distill that P&G learning down, I'm like, yeah, that is actually the most important stuff to get right with the brand. That's pretty good. Imagine, I just have done two interviews actually with a couple buyers, um, one from Dwight from Town & Country, and then Jonathan from Fresh Time. And actually, both of them mentioned very specifically their dedication to getting the Asian set right, because they have a lot of Asian consumers. They over-index on that, and they need to have a great assortment. And so I, I imagine that, that there are that buyers especially are really receptive to a product that speaks to Filipino heritage like yours and is just so interesting. So I imagine that has helped you get a lot of traction and just, yeah, congrats to you for that. And then just overall, because you have all of this experience, you were based in Asia, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. For my corporate, I was uh, living abroad for like 10 okay, years. Okay. So for people who haven't spent any time in foreign markets and maybe can you just help them imagine what the biggest differences would be between Asia versus the US? Well, it it's hard to say because even honestly in Asia, like the different countries are just so unique from each other right as well. So I'll give you an example. So when I was at PNG, the assignment I worked on for Pringles was specifically for Pringles Japan. And so working in a Japanese market, it's like, oh my gosh, it was it's probably one of the toughest retail environments in the world. Like similar to Canada, very few retailers. So a lot of power is controlled by a few key players. And number two, the local competition was so intense as in for example japanese brands the quality is incredible so delicious really good price and so competing with an imported for example u.s brand like pringles was really difficult for to fight against kind of the local you know powerhouses and so the biggest difference really is like country by country but in essence it always boils down to like we talked about your differentiation whether it be price whether it be your positioning or even your product and how does that resonate with the target audience you're trying to get to buy your product so even you know it P&G is a big company. It was not an easy time for us, like working in these nations like Japan, which is so different than Thailand, which is so different than Australia, right? Because it's such a different battlefield, quote unquote, you know, in every country. Yeah. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to announce that Startup CPG now has an official Amazon agency partner we think is the best fit for emerging brands. They're called Daybreak Agency. They're led by Leon Lewis, who has years of experience growing CPG brands. Based on recommendations from the community, I personally actually worked with Leon and the Daybreak team for my previous beverage brand, and I was super thrilled with the results. He is absolutely a great fit for brands in the community. In my view, his team is the most affordable and most effective option out there. They will 
fix up your listing and get you set up with the right creative. And they have a much more reasonable retainer structure than most agencies I've come across. I've seen crazy retainers like 5000 a month and that stuff that's just really not affordable for emerging brands. But his retainer is super affordable and he does incredible work. He will manage your operations, advertising, deal with the most challenging aspects of getting you set up on Amazon. And he actually also does other channels like Instacart and Critio. Their team has years of experience across all of CPG, and I'm super confident that you're going to love working with them. If you want to reach out to him, you can message him on the Startup CPG Slack, Leon Lewis, Daybreak Growth, or email him at leon at daybreak.agency. Make sure you mention Startup CPG to get $600 of free design credits. And it's something I really would love to try to understand better over the next couple of years is what is it like to be a Startup CPG in China or Japan or like a lot of other emerging markets as well around the world, like India. I spent a bunch of time in Asia, I mean, specifically China with Mars Chocolate. So I got a sense of what it's like to be a big CPG there, but I have no idea what, like, is there an ecosystem that helps support people? You know, what are your chances like there versus here? I'd be, yeah, I'd be super interested. Hopefully we can learn more about that together in the coming years, but back to Phila Manila. So one thing that I have been pretty impressed by from you guys is your TikTok strategy. Could you talk a little bit about it and, you know, what's been the most viral stuff? Yeah, for sure. So I think it's a no brainer out there, but a lot of folks are really bullish on the power of micro videos, specifically on TikTok, right? I mean, we've seen this huge emergence with brands having a lot of success. And I'm in awe of the people that built their businesses on TikTok. Like, I'm just fascinated by it. Just people who just like make TikToks, they build these million dollar businesses. And so, you know, if you look about what we're doing on the company, it's funny because we we have two TikTok accounts. We have a company one and we have my account, which is kind of like founder of Villa Manila, right? Villa Jake, that's my TikTok handle. You know, what we learned is that, you know, the angle that we go with on Phila Jig more talks about this idea of representation, like Filipino food representation, finally in grocery stores, and also the entrepreneurial journey, and just kind of like these stories along the way. And those are the kind of angles that seem to resonate with a lot of the audience. So I'll give you an example. I think one of our most uh, highest viewed TikToks, a few hundred thousand views, was surprising my mom with our launch at Target. I saw that one. It was great. Launched products at Target, and then we just surprised my mom because she was just shopping there. She loved to shop at Target. And then she was like passing by the agent section. She was like, oh my God, I said Philip Manila. And then like, you know, my mom has funny reactions like with any Filipino mom. Uh, so it was like really good to have on camera. But it's obviously a very touching moment because she never in her wildest dreams would she imagine like what she went through, what my dad went through as immigrants. And then, you know, her children would finally have something that's on a national kind of like a high level in terms of retail distribution. So super. That's wonderful. I was talking to Vanessa from Jaju Pierogi in an episode that'll come out pretty soon about her TikTok strategy. And one of the things she mentioned is that content that does really well is things that resonate with people that they could see themselves in. Like I could imagine I did see that TikTok and it was incredible. And I think it just, we get the feeling of like, and gosh, like I would love to be able to do that with my mom, or that's the kind of person that I would be if I had that success is I would do this video with my mom. And well, anyone who knows me knows I do have my mom a lot of videos also on, you can check her out on the Startup CPG Instagram. She's a very fun and willing participant. But I think it's just, it's warming to people for that reason, because they share that kind of connection with their parents or they want to, right? And it makes sense why that kind of content perform really well. I just kind of randomly yesterday, I was watching a funny YouTuber. There's this guy who is just like super white dude, and he is completely fluent in Mandarin and I think a couple dialects as well. And so the videos are just of him in China at some very local establishment 
just like ordering food. And the way that people look at him are just as if he has three heads, just so surprised that he can speak Mandarin so well. And I think, why do I like it? Well, you know, I spend a lot of time learning Spanish and Portuguese, and I like that about myself, that I can speak those languages and go in. And so watching that, I just am envisioning myself like, oh, God, wouldn't that be cool? And it resonates with me, you know, being able to do that. There was also a very funny video that he posted yesterday where he uh, surprised another YouTuber who his the other YouTuber's channel is him just walking up to people in New York and speaking Mandarin to them and their confusion. And he found out the guy was recording in Washington Square Park and he went there and planted himself there. So the guy finally came over and tried to confuse him and Mandarin. And he just looks at him and he's like, Oh, you're looking for water? Like it's over there. And the guy's like, whoa, 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 wait, what? Like I've never seen this. Anyways, total aside, but I watched that yesterday and found it funny. All right. So Speaking of good content, let's get to the meat of it. Let's get to Shark Tank. So can you just tell us from the beginning, man, how did this happen? It's so cool. Can you take us through the journey of how did you learn about it? How did you get up the confidence to apply for it and take on probably, you know, fairly rigorous application process? Well, first, I got to say, I, I've been a fan of the show for like years. Like we're talking like since season like three or four. Like I remember watching the show when I was based overseas working in corporate. It's like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Like I love the fact that these people are just like bearing their soul on this carpet, getting publicly embarrassed and stuff like that. It's like it takes a lot of guts, right? And, you know, I got to say, I told the folks as well or the team, it's like it was one of the reasons that made me do the leap from corporate to entrepreneurship. I mean, obviously, it was not the only Shark Tank, but it just really inspired me. Like, I love listening to everyone's stories. I learned from their pitches. I just learned from, like, how the sharks ask questions, like just different ways to frame entrepreneurship. Like, what do you go through? So it was always like a dream to go on the actual show because my parents are fans, too. Like my mom and my dad, they would watch, too. And so, you know, when I started Origin Amen, I applied and I, you know, I didn't get it. And then with Philomenilla, I actually applied just like with any other person online. Oh, actually, I think I applied. I emailed Mindy, like and Mindy is known everywhere in the industry because I had her email back from my Origin Amen days. And then like, hey, Mindy, I started this crazy thing. And I think I first applied in 2021. And but the casting thought it was probably too early. I didn't get much traction. 2022, I tried again. I'm like, I, I emailed like, hey, you know, we're still here. This is what we did. And like, eh. And then 2023, last year, I emailed them again. I think it was shortly after Expo West. I'm like, hey, I'm still in business. Uh, <laughs> I'm still alive. <laughs> this is what's going on. Like, this is our traction. And you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, let's go through this. So I guess there are times of charm. So the whole process started, you know, spring of last year, shortly after, after Expo That's West. That's awesome. Yeah, we did a webinar with Mindy, who's the casting supervisor for Shark Tank. She said, actually, the record for a number of times applying before somebody got in was 11, I think. <laughs> Some one person applied 11 times and then finally got accepted. So I definitely appreciate keeping at it. And for anybody looking to contact Mindy, I, I think you can get her on Instagram also if you just look for Mindy Casting. She is super nice and really engages with people. The webinar we did with her was one of the best attended ones we've ever done. Unfortunately, we weren't able to record it, but it just had so many brands and she knew so many of them. And she does walk around Expo West and a bunch of other places. So good to contact her. And that's great. So Okay, so you did the application process, and then what was it like getting through the successive rounds? So it, it is a lot of work, you know, without going into too much detail. It's basically like going through due diligence if you're working with a potential investor. So, you know, you have to be very transparent with where your business is at in terms of traction, financials, like where do you think you're heading into, some of the headwinds you're facing. 
And they also want to make sure that you really understand your business as well. And I think that's one of the intentions of the process. Like they want to see if the entrepreneur really has a good grasp on their numbers. What are they actually selling? What is a product they're selling? The differentiation? You know, do they have a compelling story, right? So, you know, it's a TV show. So you have to kind of build this really interesting story about yourself and the products and your company to make an interesting story that they can interpret on TV, right? If you think about it in that lens, right? And so there was a very long process of that. And, you know, it, it is quite exhaustive, but in a good way, because it teaches you as an entrepreneur to learn more about your business. So that went on for a few months, I'd say. And then if you're lucky enough, you get the the notice to fly out to film the, the thing. <laughs> and so I know you know what happened because you were on the show, but we don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously there's a pretty strict NDA that Shark Tank makes you sign so that it's really a surprise when it actually airs finally. But when you were thinking about the valuation before you were filming this and going into them, how did you think about doing it? Because I know they expect a deal, right? That's what the whole show is about. and you know, especially in the current environment, they're probably even a lot tougher on people. So how were you prepared for that discussion? Well, uh, luckily, uh, like I've been a fan of the show. So, you know, I've seen so many uh, past entrepreneurs and also in the food business as well, right? Come in with their valuation and their their rationale behind it as well. So, you know, I came up with our valuation just based on what we raised at at the point, our traction and kind of like the cultural impact and like really unique differentiations about our business and our product. Right. So it's not just another granola. It's not just another salsa. This is something really unique. It's really interesting. And so you come into the show and then you expect that you have to negotiate. And then you're familiar with how the sharks negotiate as well. So you have to come in with that mentality because if you do make a deal, like probably starting from way up here, and they're going to want to bring you way down here. Right. So you have to think about the mentality of being somewhere in the middle. And somewhere in the middle should hopefully be beneficial for both sides because there's obviously benefits of working with them. You can bring your own thing to the table as well with your product and I cannot wait to watch you negotiate with them on there. There are a couple of memories that I have from friends from our community that just came rushing back to mind for me. One was Quan from Prickly. So they tried to negotiate with him. And you know, like Mr. Wonderful will always jump in with some absolute horseshit deal. Like, okay, I want 20 cents for the rest of your life. And then like, yeah, your firstborn and all of this stuff. And in return, I'll give you almost nothing. Do you take, you better take this. And, uh, he spun it so cleverly and he was just like, well, let me ask you, how am I going to be able to be successful as a company if I'm not going to be able to have enough money to run it because you're, you know, this is just like a ridiculously low valuation and a small amount of money you're giving me. Like, how am I going to be able to then have the capital to grow this? I, I, he said it much better than I did, but it was just such a smart turn of it. And then watching Sandra Velasquez on there was epic because they tried to negotiate with her and she was just like, nope, I know my worth. And I'm not negotiating this down at all. And she didn't get a deal on there because she wouldn't negotiate. But man, I think she came out looking the best out of almost anybody for it. It was just like, oh, whoa, that's a pro. She knows how much her business is worth. And she still got aired on Shark Tank, which is what you need more than anything. And it, gosh, that was impressive. I got to say, so I applaud those entrepreneurs who's there me because it's hard to imagine what it's like until you're actually there. So the best way to describe it is like, imagine you, know, you, you watch Jeopardy and you know all the answers, but if you're actually on the stage with the thingy, it, it's very different, right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said one thing they didn't anticipate is how cold it is actually on the set. One thing surprising to me is that, you know, when you walk onto the, the stage, it's like, I was expecting to see like you know, all the camera crew and you know, people like, oh, no, you don't see anyone. You just see five really larger than life personalities in front of you. And like, I've been watching the show for like a decade, right? So I know these people like, oh my God, like, oh my God, I know them. I know that I know. 
but you can't act crazy. Obviously, <laughs> so that's what was going through your mind is like, oh, I know that, I know that. We could like ask for the autograph, like you're about to, like you know, Jake stand that thing, and then like I'll tell you where to go. Like it's man, that's a, that's incredible. And just I mean, and one other anecdote. So Mark Cuban actually is really famous for being very responsive to emails. Like you can kind of find his email out there, and I cold emailed him out of the blue, and he responded, and it was amazing. And even I started this program teaching kids in public schools across the country how to become beverage entrepreneurs, and so I was recording the digital curriculum. And I actually I think you got involved in that also to help teach a lesson for them. And he, I just sent him an email about it, and he just sent me back a video for it, and it's so cool. It's him at a table, and he like uh, sings the Shark Tank theme song, and then says, "Hey kids, like." I'm Mark Cuban from Shark Tank, and I hope your kid's Shark Tank goes really well and that you do so well that you can come onto the show and hopefully replace Mr. Wonderful and save me from him. And it's so it's so funny. And you can actually hear the national anthem in the background because he recorded it during one of the home playoff games that the Mavericks were playing. I was like, oh, my gosh, what a baller. But such a nice guy to take time out and actually do that. But, yeah, I mean, he won't get on a call with you. He's going to, like, engage with random people, but he will answer emails. He's very prolific in that, which it is super cool. Hey, everybody. Quick pause here. I wanted to share the clip that Mark sent for my kids program. Here it is. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Cuban from Shark Tank, and I just want to say good luck with your BevLodge Shark Tank. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to see who the winners are. And hopefully it'll be such a good idea that it'll just be enormous and you'll sell it for billions. And most importantly, you'll be able to take Mr. Wonderful's place and say congratulations to everybody trying to win and good luck. Thanks, everybody. Oh, he's a legend. Look what he's doing with uh, Cost Plus, the drug company is made. Like, he's a legend. Yeah, I totally agree. And then the other one that I was also just, that just came to mind was Rosa from Wild Wonder. I don't know if you've seen her episode, but for sure it was the thing that convinced me that I would never want to go on Shark Tank because she has a great product. It's, I will say, honestly, it is one of the products that if I'm going and getting a sandwich from Erewhon or something, that's one of the things that I would personally buy to have with. It's flavorful. And it's like clean ingredients and it looks beautiful and the the actual flavors are great also. And so she was on there like, man, she's going to kill it. Her brand is just absolutely ripping. She's got incredible distribution and they gave her such a tough time. I couldn't blame like, what are are you guys crazy? Like this brand is amazing. It was like, well, that's it. I'm definitely never going on there. So I really applaud you and your bravery for going on there. So, you know, without telling us what happened, did you feel like it was fair experience? Were they kind with you? Were they harsh with you? Did you feel like you were under a attack or did you feel excited oh I, I mean the experience itself was like incredible i mean like it was so overwhelming so i, I talked to an entrepreneur that's been on there for, before uh caitlin from pulp pantry and she gave a really good advice because once you're done with the pitch you're just so overwhelmed with emotion to write a journal i never write journals in my life and i wrote a six-page journal just because it was like so much craziness that happened during that session but to answer your question completely fair i mean like the their questions they asked were very you would expect not only from the sharks, but just from any serious investor, right? So that's why it's important you know your numbers, you, you can defend your business because they know nothing about your business before you step onto the carpet. And you know, and then what I will say though is that it's different because instead of walking or going to a call with some VCs in the food world, you're stepping in front of five people who are millionaires and billionaires who, who know what's going on. You know, they're all entrepreneurs. They know what's going on, right? So <laughs> it's like... 
be prepared because at the same time, it's not like, oh, let me just wait until they ask a question, then I'll ask my question. No, they are. All of them are talking over each other, then they get upset if you don't answer their questions. So there's a lot of crazy stuff. So you're playing the moderator, you're playing the entrepreneur, and then you're also being kind of like the fortune teller because you know where the conversation is leading and you want to lead them away from it. <laughs> at the same time, Daniel, you have to remember like, holy poop, I'm on TV. So you can't look crazy, right? So I think. <laughs> there's so many things happening in your head at the same time it's just like there's a lot of stuff like <laughs> that you're going through on this stage so man that's incredible and maybe we could get you to actually read that journal entry once the thing goes live i think that would be a really cool thing to have here on the podcast well you know like i should i'm sure you heard from the other founders that in the show but they actually bring back a therapist to see you after the pitch and like everyone gets to see a therapist and their therapist is basically i joke around but they go like oh my god are you okay but they don't say it like that i just joke around that's my joke but they just want to make sure you're okay after after the experience. that's who i would like to have on the podcast is that therapist <laughs> but tell me some stories oh god are you okay oh, oh yeah fine <laughs> <laughs> so um what do you hope will happen as a result of the show? Like, you know, we all want those big orders. Like what for you would be a perfect outcome over the next couple of weeks? Yeah. So our vision at Philo Manila is to represent the next generation of Filipino American flavors. And I so what's exciting for me, I mean, aside from the, the sales bump, um, is I almost feel like in a way it's like a coming out party for Filipino culture and cuisine on a premium national level, right? Because you never see a Filipino food brand on something like Shark Tank. And so I want to show how amazing our cuisine can be and just show our dishes in, with millions of U.S. households. Mm -hmm. And they know just the fact that you're on the show that it's a premium product, right? And then hopefully I did justice in explaining what our culture is, like my family background and what led us to create the brand. But on a personal note, honestly, Daniel, it's like, here's the thing. So my mom and my dad has been a huge fan of the show. My dad passed away in 2022. And so it's just my mom. And then so I never told my mom anything about the whole experience up until a few days ago, just because I want to make sure I got an air date because I just want to protect my family against disappointment because you never know. Right. And so my mom's a huge show. And so, but in these months where I was waiting, like the thing I was waiting the most and excited for was like, I get to tell my mom that I'm going to be on Shark Tank. And so for me, like I was more excited about that once I got the notice that I was airing rather than, oh, you know, Shopify stuff. And I was just like, it's just something I want her to be proud because she sacrificed so much growing up for him, my brother and I, that the fact that, you know, she gets to see her kid on her favorite show. It's just mind blowing. That's beautiful, man. That's incredible. I'm very sorry to hear about your father also. What was it like telling your mom? What was her reaction? Did you record it for TikTok also? I'm curious. Of course I did. Yes, I recorded it for TikTok. <laughs> my mom has amazing reactions, like a very like reactive Filipino mom. So she was, she went like, oh my God. And then she even tried to like break my NDA. She's like, I'm your mother. Tell me who we made a deal with. Like, no mom, but like, you know, ABC is going to sue me. I can't break the NDA. <laughs> but it was hilarious. I was, she's so excited. We're going to do like a live stream during the airing on Friday. Again, in trouble, but like FaceTime the TV screen because she's in the Philippines. She's retired. So she doesn't have access to like, you know, ABC or who. Oh, that's so exciting. So yeah, what are your plans for watching the show? And then do you have any asks for everybody out there? Because this will be airing and, you know, a lot of people will listen to this before the show. Anything you want them to do or follow along with you somewhere? Or how can we help? 
Yeah, for sure. So we're going to have a small airing party or viewing party. So just like some good friends, uh, some of the team members, some family, and just folks around DC as well, just who happen to be around. My only ask is that definitely tune in. If you can watch it on Friday night, watch it on streaming on Hulu the next day. Uh, definitely visit all of our social media channels on Instagram. It's Eat Phil Manila. On TikTok, it's Phil Jake. Like and follow us and all that fun stuff. But try our products out. You know, if you never had Filipino food, like try experiencing it for the first time. It's, it's Pretty delicious. And one extra bonus for the episode actually is that our friends from Funky Mellow are also on the episode. Yes, yes, it's crazy. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. He wouldn't have run into them there because who knows when they actually did their filming, right? Or maybe it was the same day. Actually, I guess maybe because if probably on, I guess they probably have the same sharks for each episode, right? So maybe it was filmed at least with that same set because when they air an episode like this, they all show three different brands, but the sharks are the same. Possibly. All right. So, um, okay. <laughs> mystery, mystery. I love it. Yeah, really excited for them. The, you can check out an episode of theirs if you scroll back a bit in our feed. We were really lucky to host them a while back, and they are just some of the loveliest people in the world, and their product is delicious. And I hope both of you get record-setting deals and make Mr. Wonderful cry and all of that good stuff. So, and uh, Jake, before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you also to tell us a little bit about Founders Heritage. Yeah. So uh, thank you for asking. So Founders Heritage, it's a community of founders, uh, specifically in the global flavor space. So we got a lot of inspiration from the community that you built, Daniel, with Startup CPG. Uh, we're definitely not at the scale, obviously not at the scale as our CPG, but it's very kind of close-knit within usually like BIPOC founders because we make foods that are directly tied to our heritage. And so the thinking is that, hey, you know, we know the same manufacturers, suppliers, retailers, buyers, distributors. Might as well just kind of like talk together and see how we could help specifically in the global flavor space, right? It's just very small nuances that we know that we can help out in very specific so if you are a, um, a founder of a global flavor brand that you're interested in joining, it's free, obviously, as evidenced by our website. Just visit foundersheritage.org and then uh, learn more and join our community. That's beautiful. Do you get interest from abroad for your products just because they're unique and have a global nature? So, I mean, all of the founders in your Founders Heritage organization, like, yeah, do you guys talk to each other about that at all? Yeah, we do. So we do get interest. I'm part of these food export programs. So there's a lot of interest from Canada and the Middle East. We're still a startup. I mean, we'd love to be everywhere, everything everywhere all at once, like the movie. But, you know, we have to be conscious about where we deploy capital and where we focus. But maybe one day, you know, hopefully we do well enough where we could find our products in different countries. All right. So just to end off here, is there any like upcoming news or distribution coming up that you'd like people to know about? And how can people also best stay in touch and follow along your journey and learn more about Phila Manila? Yeah, so we're just coming off the heels of a huge product transition. So we used to be in glass jars, but we moved over to pouches and squeezy bottles. So this year, we're going to focus on just driving our core flavor skews like ube, adobo, banana ketchup. Then and new products we have lined up for 2025 will be pretty exciting. And we have a couple of uh, new distribution news that we can announce just yet. Uh, but hopefully you'll see some exciting stuff happening in the second half of the year. But definitely follow us on social media, you know, eat Phil Manila on Instagram and Phila Jake on TikTok and then visit our site at philomanil.com. Hopefully you could watch our airing on Shark Tank this Friday, March 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time on ABC. All right, Jake, thank you so much for joining us. This is really a privilege to have you on in this very exciting week. And I'm super excited to check back in with you afterwards and hear how everything went. 
and celebrate and laugh and maybe cry. Who knows what actually happened? But I know one thing for sure is I, I'm sure you made yourself and your family and all Filipino Americans really proud. I'm very confident that you would have just crushed it there. So I can't wait to watch. Thank you, Dad, for having me. It's, it's, it's just an honor being on your show. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast today, it would really help us out if you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I am Daniel Scharf. I'm the host and founder of Startup CPG. Please feel free to reach out or add me on LinkedIn. If you're a potential sponsor that would like to appear on the podcast, please email partnerships at startupcpg.com. And reminder to all of you out there, we would love to have you join the community. You can sign up at our website, startupcpg.com, to learn about our webinars, events, and Slack channel. If you enjoyed today's music, you can check out my band. It's the Super Fantastics on Spotify Music. On behalf of the entire Startup CPG team, thank you so much for listening and your support. See you next time.